Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. There is no dispute that the Ghanaian economy is in deep crisis. A crisis marked by huge budget deficits, an unsustainable public debt, rising inflation, a rapidly depreciating currency ever-rising cost of living and a loss of confidence by both domestic and international investor communities. The mood in government is moody, as ratings agencies Moody's and Fitch show the outlook of the economy is not a positive one. Tonight, we interrogate the issues for you. Also coming up, years of legal tussle ends in the University of Education, Winneba, as governing council reinstates Professor Mauto Avoke as vice-chancellor. And later on Eyewitness News... Come out in your numbers, join us. Let's devote ourselves to the calling of Mother Ghana. Let's help save Ghana and let's build for all of us a Ghana that we shall be proud of. Opposition NDC moves fight against E-Levy from the Chamber of Parliament to streets with a planned demonstration. Tonight we ask, will the party succeed with this particular campaign. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Following Moody's recent downgrade of the country's credit rating, economist Dr. Patrick Opoku assuming charges government to leverage its digitization drive to plug revenue and expenditure potholes to raise more revenue. That's in some 50 minutes with Netili Neti of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is like live across the country on a number of affiliate stations including premier 105.5 uh, fm in takradi also greener fm 95.9 in sunyani um, orange fm 107.9 fm in kumasi eastern region we are on right fm 90.1 in sna somania and in the Volta region we are on holy fm 98.5 fm in Aflawu, in the northern region, Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi is bringing eyewitness news live to your doorstep. And in the upper east region, this is Word FM in Zwarungu on 88.3. And in the upper west region, Bugli Radio 88.6 in Wa is bringing you eyewitness news. Do send us your reactions to the stories we are bringing you. If it's on WhatsApp or Telegram, the number to send your message to is 0549-986-996. You can send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. And later on Point Blank tonight, we focus on the campaign to make sure you don't make any phone call tomorrow in protest. Now, there's a group that says help them make that statement very clear to the telecommunications companies and also, of course the government as well in relation to a number of issues that will be interrogating. Ras Mubarak is former member of parliament for uh, Kumbungu in the northern region and he is lead campaigner for this campaign 
uh, we'll be having him on point blank. But first... An economist with the University of Ghana Business School, Professor Gottfried Bokpin, has described as misplaced government's attack on some credit rating organizations following the ratings of the economy. The finance ministry, in a statement, accused Moody of omitting key information in its downgrade of Ghana from B3 to Car 1 with a stable outlook. President Akufuado has also bemoaned the impact of such ratings on cost and access to capital markets by African countries. But Professor Bokpin believes the rating agencies are not far from the truth, despite any shortcomings. He's thus urging the government to take steps to turn things around by making some more expenditure cuts. I don't see a lot of reaction, the government reaction, in terms of um, uh, whether we should rather major on that one. I think that government should rather focus on addressing the fundamental imbalances, the fiscal unsustainability issues that, 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 that the country is saddled with. I think other than that, we'll be majoring on the minor, I'm afraid. If you look at government's own drive to, to pass the e-levy at all costs, it, 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 it tells you a certain level of desperation. I mean, there's enough that we can glean from government's own understanding of the economy that all is not well, independent of even the credit rating reports and all of that. The best reaction government can do is rather to cut wasteful expenditure, not just the kind of 20% uh, expenditure cut across the board. And, and, and I say so because I, 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 I've not seen the science behind that. I've not seen the details because it's not every expenditure you can cut. Professor Gottfried Bokpin is an economist with the University of Ghana Business School. Now, this has got many people talking. The issue of uh, what exactly the ratings agency is saying in relation to the performance of the Ghanaian economy. Uh, Moody's uh, has spoken, Fitch has spoken, and we've also heard from SMP, at least a newspaper reported today on what Standards and Boards or SMP has said. We'll be trying to help you make sense of all these issues tonight here on eyewitness news now if you go to the um, citynewsroom.com website uh, we have the scale that moody's uses in rating countries so it has a as in triple a uh, which is low level of credit risk and then it has aa1 which is very low credit risk then we have a3 so a1 a2 and A3. Now we also have A1, A2, A3, which is low credit risk. Then BAA1, BAA2, BA3, which is moderate credit risk. Then we have BA1, BA2, BA3, which is substantial credit risk. We have B1, B2, and B3, high credit risk. And then the category that we fall in is CAA1, CAA2, CAA3, which is very high credit risk now this has got lots of people speaking like i told you and if you go to our website we have more stories that would clarify and highlight these issues for you um former president john dramani mahama has issued a statement from his office in cantonment which is focused as well on this particular subject matter and it's titled time is taken for the crisis reading Ghanaian economy now he was in charge or at the helm of uh, ghana's economy uh, when he was president at the time he led the country to the imf a move that was heavily criticized by the then opposition uh, new patriotic party led by nana adodan kwakufado now the issue of going back to the imf is on the table even though government has said to us through deputy finance minister honorable abnasia sari last week 
that is not an option that will be explored even though a senior member of the party or at least when he was in parliament had made statements suggesting that go to the IMF. Let's understand what John Muhammad's position is now from where he is uh, watching events. Remember he has said if you've never been a president don't criticize him. He has been president and he's criticizing Nana Adodan Kwakufado. Felix Kwachiofosu worked as his deputy minister for finance and still speaks for him. He is John Muhammad's aide. Mr. Kwachiofosu, you're welcome to eyewitness news time is taken for the crisis reading ghanian economy that's the picture that john muhammad is seeing from where he sits well it is not the picture that uh, president mama is seeing it is a reality on the ground i think that there is unanimity on the fact that the ghanian economy is teetering on the edge of disaster and that we are on the brink of collapse indeed all the information that you relate about the various credit ratings from the known credit rating agencies, point to the fact that the Ghanaian economy is in shambles, complete status. And all key macroeconomic indicators are pointing to the fact that we are in very, very, very deep crisis. So you would expect a certain kind of response on the part of the government to stem the downward spiral and save the economy from collapse. But President Mama has observed that instead of an all-action, all-hands-on-deck approach to resolving the difficulties that are militating against the Ghanaian economy, this government is completely nonchalant. President Akufaro does not seem to care. As for his vice president, who is the head of the economic government team, who made so much noise in opposition and created the impression that he was some sort of messiah who could take Ghanaians to the economic promised land. He has completely disappeared from the economic scene. He's gone into hiding. And he is avoiding discourse on the economy, like the plague. He doesn't want to touch it with a long pole. He doesn't want to take responsibility for the mess that he has supervised. So what has happened is that this government has reduced all the solutions that we need to prefer to address the problems we are facing to the imposition of very draconian taxes, chief amongst them the e-levy. And it's creating the impression that once the e-levy goes through and is imposed on the people of Ghana, all our problems will be resolved. But the facts show that the e-levy is completely irrelevant to the situation that we are in at the moment. The e-levy is part of government's revenue calculations. Apart from that, the government will still need to borrow substantially. Indeed, the budget statement of 2022 shows that they will need to borrow an additional $37 billion to be able to meet the expenditure items that they've outlined in the budget. So whether we get a yield levy or not, we are in a very, very deep hole that will require borrowing to address. Now, this borrowing too that government looks forward to doing has become virtually impossible to do because... The both local and international investor communities do not trust that this government is managing the economy well. And therefore, if they were to advance monies to us in the form of loans or the purchase of our bonds, we will be in any position to manage the economy well to derive sufficient revenue to pay back. Because of that, since October last year, we have not been able to go to the international bond market to raise a dime. And this is putting extreme pressure on our finances. 
Now, because the international community does not have confidence in us, the international rating agencies too have downgraded us. Uh, last week, we got a double banger. Uh, Fitch downgraded us from B to B minus with a negative outlook. Uh, Moody's downgraded us from D3 to CAA1, which is only two steps away from the worst rating anybody can have. Now, these two ratings represent the worst ratings that Ghana has ever had in its history since the ratings began in 2003. If you look at our debt position, indeed, we have had a sneak peek at the debt figures as of December 2021. And it indicates that we owe as much as 350 billion Ghana cities. If you add some debt that is hidden under some SOEs and very dodgy special purpose vehicles, we estimate that our debt as of December 2021 is actually 362 billion Ghana cities with a debt to GDP ratio of 83%. Now, these are disastrous figures. We have a deficit which in 2020 was 15.2%. And in 2021, was 12%. These are disastrous, catastrophic figures that no economy can survive. So when this government tells you that they won't go to the IMF, you know, they are only being clever by half. They are being needlessly stubborn. There's a reality that they are avoiding. They think that they can avoid that reality by imposing taxes on you and I. I've told you already that the calculations show that whether they impose levy or not, we are not getting out of this hole any time soon. So it is because of this that the rating agencies have done the downgrades. It is because of this that the investors don't want to give us any money. Now, if you say you won't go to the IMF, what is the credible plan that you have that you can put on the table to ensure that confidence returns to the economy and that we do not collapse? This government has not been forthcoming with any such plan. That is what President Mama refers to as the post-COVID economic plan. That would take us out of this mess. Now, President Mama also referred to what we did. It is not the first time that we've had economic challenges. Of course, there's no doubt that what we are facing now is the worst we have ever faced. But we faced a milder form in okay. 2015. I'll come to what your approach was and why you are no. advising the government to. But since we are referring to rating agencies, and that's the basis for this conversation, um, two out of three have uh, rated us poorly. But Standards & Poor's has issued... Um, a rating as well, and I'm just looking at it here. The overview, it says Ghana aims to consolidate its large fiscal deficits. In part, uh, rating action, it says on February 4, 2021, S&P Global Ratings affirmed uh, its B minus stroke B long and short term foreign and local currency sovereign credit ratings on Ghana. The outlook is stable. That is what SMP is saying, surely something good there for the government that should be commended. Well, there's nothing good for which reason this government should be commended. Uh, there are three rating agencies. If two of them give you a very grim, very dire, very gloomy outlook, I'm not sure that there's anything to be proud of. Even SMP make the point, if you read further, that they will come back in six months and they will be compelled to downgrade us if things do not improve. Based their affirmation. What they've done is that they've not upgraded us. They've kept us where we were. Let me just read that for the consumption of the sure. audience. And it says, sure. we could lower the rating in the next 6 to 12 months if we see further deterioration of Ghana's fiscal metrics, either due to recurring wide fiscal deficits 
or the materialization of contingent liabilities in the finance or energy sectors. Pressure on the ratings could also materialize should external pressure build, for example, because of accelerated non-resident outflows eroding Ghana's usable foreign exchange reserves. So that, that's just to help that, your conversation. Yes, you see that they speak about further deterioration. That that means that they acknowledge that there is deterioration. They also say that we have huge deficits. We have contingent liability. That's what I, I referred to when I spoke about debts that they have hidden in SOEs. What happens is that if those SOEs are not able to pay, it will fall on central government to do. Some of the rating agencies do what you call general government accounting. So they take cognizance of all debts hidden in SOEs and very, very dodgy uh, special purpose vehicles like Dachin, like Esla, and what have you. So SMP is only saying that if things don't improve and things carry on the way they are going now, they'll be compared to downgraders. So the, the picture is extremely dire. But could but that picture not be that, dire? Could that picture not have been dire because of the facts and figures that the ratings agencies use? The Ministry of Finance, then for that matter, government has said. It is puzzled by Moody's ratings, and if you look at the quotes directly, it says, We are at odds to understand Moody's assertion of the deterioration of Ghana's institutional strength, giving Ghana's reputation as a beacon of democracy in Africa. In co it continues on that part to say that relevant documents were not referred to. For instance, it says, The government of Ghana is therefore completely puzzled by the decision to downgrade Ghana's credit rating to CAA1, despite the series of progressive engagements we had with them, with the team from Moody's. The quality of data supplied as well as a medium-term economic and fiscal focus of the government underpinned by f key fiscal consolidation reforms, such as a policy decision to cut expenditure by 20%, as recently announced by the Minister of Finance, government added in a statement. So they are saying, and that's government, that the facts may not have been completely um, considered, and for that reason we have been rated poorly, and that if the facts are properly looked at, uh, we would be doing better than we have been told we are doing. Umaru. There is no relevant fact that the credit, credit rating agencies ignored in their ratings. The fact is that almost all relevant facts and data about the Ghanaian economy is publicly available through the budget, through the statistical bulletins that the, National, uh, the Ghana Statistical Service does, through the uh, releases that the Bank of Ghana does every quarter. So I can assure you that all the rating agencies have all these facts and figures. And anyway, what specific facts and figures uh, and is the government referring to that was ignored? Again, if you don't mind, I can send to you clips of government officials uh, from the information minister to Dr. Baumia himself. Indeed, in 2016, Dr. Baumia sought to take political advantage of churches' improvement in our ratings when they upgraded us from B minus with a negative outlook to B minus with stable outlook. Dr. Baumia dismissed this as uh, something that shows that the economy is not being managed properly. So he wholeheartedly welcomed Moody's, uh, what do you call it, a Fitch's downgrade of Ghana, or Fitch's rating of Ghana. About two years ago, the information minister, my good friend, Kojo Oponkuma, at a press conference here in Accra, speaking in an official capacity and on behalf of the economic management team, welcomed Moody's affirmation of Ghana's economic ratings when they said that we had to be with a stable outlook. So when did this government become averse suddenly to international rating agencies so that they begin to question their methodology? It is the same methodology that they've used in the last 20 years or so. 
that they've used in these ones. Except that this time around, the glaring mismanagement of the economy has come to the fore. The figures show that things are terrible. And Allah is under, um, when you look at the facts on the ground, as I speak to you, this government has run itself into such a ditch that they are unable to meet basic, 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 basic expenditure obligations. For instance, you know that for two consecutive academic years, they've not been able to print textbooks for basic school pupils. Capitation grants, which is the most basic payment that you make at the basic level, has been in areas for four tranches. School feeding uh, caterers are owed several months arrears. Teacher trainees are owed several months arrears in allowances. As I speak to you, you know that UTAD and other tertiary education uh, unions are on the neck of government demanding better conditions of service, and government is not able to meet. Mm. As I speak to you now, uh, what do you call it? Contractors are owed over 20 billion Ghana cities. That this is Assembly's Common Fund for four quarters, which is one whole year. Government has not been able to disperse anything to them. Even NAPCO, NAPCO recruits, government is unable to pay them so that they are owed several months arrears. Now, people may not know this. I stumbled on information over the weekend, which suggests that even our debt payment obligations are falling into default, such that in 2020 and 2021, we paid a total of 10 million Ghana cities in punitive interest, which means that we could not pay our debt at the time that they fell due. So we were punished with punitive interest of up to 10 million Ghana. So we cannot even meet our debt payment obligations. That is how dire and terrible the situation is. So okay. there's you... no denying that we are in a mess. You, you have been in government before. How do these things work? Because government has issue with how the obtaining of the data was done and how the analysis was done. They talk particularly, uh, or in, in particular, a, a lady known as Lucy Villa, who is a person who was, um, who, well, they said that Lucy Villa only recently took over as a primary analyst covering Ghana for Moody's. And they are saying, let me read for you, we are very concerned that Miss Villa may not properly understand the evaluate and evaluate Ghana's deepening credit story since obtaining her first credit rating back in 2003. She also has not visited the country since assuming the role and as such, this downgrade at this critical time was based entirely on a desktop exercise virtual discussions and what we believe to be the omission of critical data provided this is a direct quote from the ministry of finance you have been in government before how do these things work do they not have to come down to pick the documents inspect the documents if you sat in in wherever you sat and did the work that can be described as armchair research and the government is questioning that this is the most ridiculous and embarrassing excuse i have ever had any government make about a downgrade you see, what they are saying is akin to saying, for instance, and, and forgive me, this may be a grave example, that, for instance, your production team and yourself, you prepared to read the news at 5.30. Then for some reason, either you were indisposed or you were dismissed, or for some reason, you were replaced by a new anchor. So the production that has been done, the facts of the stories that you are reading and questioning me on now, was handed over to another anchor, and the anchor presented it. Now, I, as a consumer of your news, goes out to see, that because the news was presented by a new anchor, what the anchor is saying cannot be trusted. It is the most ridiculous position to adopt. You see, data is data, and nobody has to travel from Paris or London to Accra to obtain it. The government of Ghana, when they read their budget, put it on the Ministry of Information's website. So if you Google it today, you will find it. All the data that has been used in this analysis is contained in the Ministry's own budget. If you go to the Bank of Ghana website, they have put their statistical bulletins there. 
giving an update on where things are as far as the data uh, concerning this economy goes. Um, the Ghana Statistical Service, their data is available. If Moody's needs any information, they will get in touch with the government of Ghana. Indeed, this very release that you read also states that they had a virtual conference with the analysts who did this rating. So why should the analyst come out from Paris or from London to Ghana to sit with you before he, she can obtain information? When that information is electronically available, why? When I have a Zoom meeting with you, it's not the same as meeting you. Why, why do you need to see the person's face before you can exchange information on the relevant matters that must be raised? So with the greatest respect to uh, the folks at the Ministry of, of, of Finance, this is the most ridiculous. It is embarrassing and they must flee from this kind of narrative. You see, they are living in denial. Everybody sees that the Ghanaian economy is on the verge of collapse and it's in deep crisis. What they need to do is do what President Mama is recommending in the release that he did uh, this afternoon. When we faced a, a, a milder situation in 2015, we knew that wisdom did not reside in one person's head. So we called a stakeholders forum at Finch. We invited people from all backgrounds to come and share their knowledge and ideas on how they think we can get out of the difficulties that we were having. The knowledge that was shared at Finch then crystallized into what we call the Homegrown Fiscal Consolidation Program. We took this program to the IMF and told them that these are the things that we want to do to address the challenges that we were facing. The IMF accepted it wholly. Indeed, the only thing the IMF changed in that document we sent was that we were not allowed to take more than 5% central bank financing in 2015. And then in 2016, they said that we could not take anything at all. So it was zero financing from the uh, central bank, that's the Bank of Ghana. Those are the only two insertions that they made in the documents that we presented after we had gone to St. Chi and brainstormed on possible solutions to getting out of the crisis. It was because of that that we returned to stability. And when this government took over, they had some relative success because of the foundations that we had, we had laid based on the program that we have with the IMF. You see, this government... Sometimes they don't take the people of Ghana seriously. They seek to demonize the IMF. Suddenly, the IMF has sprouted horns and tails, and they become devils. Meanwhile, when we went into uh, what do you call it, COVID, within three weeks of COVID striking, they ran with their tail in between their legs to the IMF. The IMF gave them one billion Ghana sorry dollars free, which is about six billion Ghana cities. Twelve months after that. The IMF gave them another one billion dollars, which is another six billion. So together, it was twelve billion Ghana cities. Now you take twelve billion Ghana cities from the IMF because we are members of the IMF to support your economy, and then when it is time for you to go to them so that they assist you to overcome difficulties you are having, you are posturing and creating the impression that you know what to do. Maybe I don't know what to do. You see, what the IMF will do is that they will insist on discipline. They will say that you are not allowed to spend recklessly, like they did to win the 2020 elections. And it is because of that that they don't want to go. But if they went to the IMF today, the investors who are shunning us like a plague and don't want to lend us a time will have confidence that at the very least, the IMF will insist on fiscal discipline. So we will not run into the difficult situation where we will not be able to find money to pay them back 
when they lend us any money. Is it not rather that is it not rather that they are avoiding the IMF because if they go to the IMF, they'll be, they'll be restricted like you were, so that they would have on their hands unemployed graduates association of Ghana and posted registered nurses, and so on because of the freeze on employment into the public sector. That 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 would be suffocating Umar, the the the, the Umar, states, and they, they are avoiding that. Umar, let me place it on record. I was the deputy communications minister in the government of Nigeria. There was no freeze on employment in the public sector. What there was was a net freeze, which meant that people were not going to be employed until there were vacancies in the public sector. But we even gave exemptions to education, health, and the security agencies. It is because of that that over the period, we were able to employ an additional 220,000 Ghanaians into the public sector. If you check the budget statements between 2012 and 2016, you will find this figure. If there was a freeze, how were we able to put over 200,000 people into the public sector? There was a net freeze. If it, that policy actually even predated the IMF. It started in 2008 when the late Kojo Barredu was finance minister. So part of the misinformation that the MPP goes about churning out is this freeze or so-called freeze on public sector. There was nothing like that. And let me put it on record. I can send you the figures for you to verify. But the point I'm making is that the reason why the MPP does not want to go is that they know that it will expose their hypocrisy and the cheap propaganda they engaged in okay. in 2016. That is the only reason why. Otherwise, there's nothing wrong with going to the IMF. Because we are members, we have been members of the IMF since 1957. And it is for moments like this, when you are in difficulty, that one joins the IMF for support. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Kwachi. Unfortunately, I made a mistake and referred to you as a Deputy Finance Minister. Apologies uh, for giving you a wrong title. Thank no you for speaking to us. No That's what is Kwachi for. So he was Minister for Communication Deputy in the Mahama government, and he is also aide to the former President John Dramani Mahama. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. What are the reactions that are coming through? Eno, please share some with us on WhatsApp. Right. Musa Ali in Wahi says the economy is horrible. We've been downgraded by international rating groups. Investors are scared to invest. Government continues its wastage in spending. Baumia, who's touted as an economic guru, has gone silent. And the strikes within the labor continue to bite all of us. Terrible time to be a Ghanaian. Jones Adeboy in Lahi says, good evening. Uh, even with their cooked and concorded figures, they are still being downgraded. I wonder if the true story of the economy is told. What would have happened? Better managers of the economy indeed. You send your message as well to 0549-986-996. That's a WhatsApp number. Tweet using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. We're listening there to Felix Kwachofosu of the opposition NDC. Unfortunately, though, uh, we've been unsuccessful in reaching any official of government to react to this issue. From the big issue on Saturday uh, through to Eyewitness News tonight, we've been unsuccessful in reaching uh, officials of government to respond to this issue of uh, the ratings agency um, and what they have said about Ghana, except that we have read for you, except of the finance ministry's official response to the uh, downgrading. This is Eyewitness News on 97. Point three, City FM. Now, the National Labor Commission and uh, UTAG continue to play their game, even though the court has uh, asked them to solve this issue behind the scenes and revert on Thursday. Eno, please bring us a story. 
The National Labour Commission has described as unfortunate the latest decision by the leadership of the University Teachers Association of Ghana, UTAG, not to honour its invitation to find a lasting solution to the current impasse. UTAG last week in a letter signed by its legal representative turned down an invitation to meet with the NLC and the government in a bid to resolve its ongoing strike. This follows a High Court directive directing the two parties to settle the labour issues out of court. Executive Secretary of the NLC, Ufuswa Samwa, spoke to City News. The commission uh, has written to the government side upon the letter received from UTAC. But um, on Wednesday, when the commission said to take a closer look at the letter and take a decision on it, we are not meeting the government side. We are bringing the party together. So when one party has declined, the meeting is just impossible. That is what we have at hand. They have started the effort of the commission to facilitate settlement today as directed by the court. It's an unfortunate decision, but they have indicated in their letter that they are going to meet the government have it settled. So we keep our fingers crossed to see what comes out of it. And like I said, the commission will take a closer look at the letter because uh, the commission has power to compare that system on the commission. So if the commission decides that despite their letter, they still have to appear, it will accordingly do so. But uh, if the commission finds out that uh, they are engaging the government exercise the commission will think otherwise. So the most important thing we want is that um, the matter must be resolved. But I don't think that it it goes down well for a party to defy the orders of the commission, the directive. And even when ordered by the court, they still go ahead to defy it. It's an unfortunate development. Executive Secretary of the National Labour Commission, Ofusu Asamwa. Meanwhile, the striking lecturers say their decision to boycott today's meeting is because the NLC is party to the suit currently before the court. The National Secretary of UTAG, Dr. Asari Asantiano, tells City News the association will rather meet with the employer in a bid to resolve the impasse. We could not honour the invitation from the NLC today because uh, we felt that they are a part to the suit. And secondly, also, our request, clearly it's only the employer who will be able to address them. And so we wrote accordingly to respect their invitation, but uh, we are not able to uh, attend. And so we respectfully declined and rather recommended that we should meet the employer that we can discuss the issues. So we'll be meeting the employer on Tuesday, and uh, we hope that uh, we will both, as that both parties will take advantage of this window uh, to offer something uh, substantial, especially on the side of the employer for the investor. Oh, hopeful we are because uh, we. Uh, hope that the employer at this point also would have noticed that the result from UTAG members is that there should be something on the table before they would go back to the classroom. So we are hopeful that they will also table something that is uh, appreciable for our members to also uh, accept. Dr. Asari Asantiano is the National Secretary of the University Teachers Association of Ghana. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. 
let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's do some more stories now. The Coalition of Concerned University Students will, on Tuesday, February 8th, embark on a peaceful protest over the strike by university teachers. The planned demonstration by the group is to call on government to address the concerns of members of the University Teachers Association of Ghana. UTAG members have been on strike since January 10. Speaking to the press, lead convener of the coalition, George Kofiabwa, says they will present a petition to the presidency and parliament during the protest. We want to motivate our fellow university students, both home and abroad, to speak across the country. We shall hold a peaceful demonstration goal in tomorrow, and I urge each and everyone here to believe in this vision that caucus, as the coalition of all these concerned university students, would converge at the University of Ghana campus in front of the stadium, or Ponglo, and we shall depart at 9 a.m. As I speak, I can boldly tell you that we have the approval of the regional command of the Ghana Police Service. Be motivated. Join the coalition. Let us just express our grievances to our leaders of this country. Let us humbly tell them that this is our petition and suggested solutions to solve this matter for a long term instead of still dwelling on the short term of this Utah Bruhaha. You heard the lead convener for the Coalition of Concerned University Students, George Kufiabwa. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let's remain with that story. It's a story that we've been bringing for you for a number of years now since that controversy started the legal tussle and so on. There are more reactions, aren't there? You know? Right. Now, the governing council of the University of Education, Winnebus, says it has complied with the directive by the High Court and reinstated Professor Mauto Aboke as the vice-chancellor of the university. According to the governing council, five other persons who were dismissed from office together with Professor Aboke have also been reinstated per the orders of the court. Leadership of the university together with Professor Aboke and his team were locked up in a meeting to deliberate on his return. Speaking to City News, the chairman of the governing council of the institution, Nanot Furi the I, indicated that the unity of the university is paramount, hence the decision to comply with the directive. Council had an emergency meeting to decide or to look at the ruling. Now, once there's an order from the court for reinstatement, council had no choice but to comply with. So, what we're doing today is that Professor Avoke has come back to the university to take up his position as the vice-chancellor of the university with immediate effect, per the orders of the court. And it is the vision, the wish, and um, the admonition of the president that litigation must end somewhere. And with that court ruling, 
litigation at UEW has come to an end. Today, Professor Avoke, who is standing on my immediate left, has taken his position. So today, as council chairman, I met the university management team together with Professor Avoke. And we had our first meeting so that they will know what has gone on so far. I gave them a briefing. Um, I told them Prof has taken his position and they also welcomed him. So Prof Avoke is back. Prof Ofuri Brickran, who acted as um, the acting VC and is now back to his position as the Pro Vice Chancellor, has given us the assurance that he will lead a crusade of peace, which he has already initiated. He would, together with Prof. Avoke, continue with that process to bring even better harmony uh, in the school than it used to be. You heard the chairman of the Governing Council of the University of Education, Nana Ofori Ansa the first. Now, the reinstated vice-chancellor of UEW, Professor Mauto Aboketel, City News, he would work with the council to address outstanding issues. Uh, I don't want to uh, over-rehearse the issues that have been mentioned by the chairman of the Governing Council, not least to say that... Uh, what is urgently required at the University of Education today is unity, reconciliation, and peace. It is also critical to understand that uh, we must work together in unity, otherwise uh, we cannot forge any development agenda. Uh, even as we celebrate today that we are back to the university, we are also mindful of some of our colleagues who have not had the opportunity to come back yet. And so, Within the coming days, uh, we would work with council to framework to see that those other people who were dismissed who were at home uh, would also uh, come back. Uh, I think we're thankful to the President of the Republic, the Sector Minister, the Governing Council, and all others who through prayers and support uh, has made this day possible including the media. Hey, Prof, you know, uh, the court ruling really also stated that uh, once they, uh, those who were also sacked from the school come back, the monies that the school owed them is supposed to be paid. Is that already going to be enforced? Well, I'm not sure the issue is about money at this point in time. I mean, what is critical now is to stabilize the system. Uh, after all, we have lived for five years without money, so that is now the most urgent need at this point in time. Our concentration of focus should be on how we bring peace, unity, and reconciliation to the university. Those other things would come as a matter of course. Professor Mauto Avoke is the reinstated vice chancellor of the University of Education. Calvis Tete is our correspondent in the central region. He's been following the story from day one. Calvis, tonight seems to be like the end of the road for all the uh, confusion that we've been hearing in the uh, on the on the campus of the University of Education, Winneba, or is it not? Um, because we are hearing that security personnel are having to be moving with the reinstated VC. Tell us the story of what happened today, and what the future portends. Yes, Sandra. So I, I would say uh, it has finally come to an end. You know the 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 noise about UEW and the confusion here from 2017 has finally, finally come to an end today after the. Council Chair Nana Oporiansa, uh, after an emergency meeting, complied with the directive of the Winnipeg High Court to 
Green State Professor Mauta Apoke as a vice chancellor. Uh, as we speak now, there is still police presence on campus. The vice chancellor, Professor Mauta Apoke, has been given some security detail. Uh, from what I learned, uh, there will be a, a police officer with him uh, in his house, and then he'll be moving with him to campus as and when he moves around to ensure that uh, things get settled on campus. Uh, I spoke to the municipal chief executive for the the Futu Enclave, and then he tells me that uh, uh, they are also going to ensure that nothing untoward happens in terms of violence or thunder. Is it the case that he's, he's someone is threatening him or there's a faction that does not agree with his reinstatement? Why is he being given police escort? Or does the normal procedure that UEW vice-chancellors have police escorts? Well, Sandra, that is not a normal detail, you know, uh, but uh, because of the activities that have happened uh, prior to today's event, uh, the, 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 the Municipal Security Council, MUSEC, uh, which is like, which has been led by the District Municipal Chief Executive for Ifutu, started wise that for now he needs a security detail until things settle, Sandra. So uh, as we speak now, the new Vice Chancellor of the University will be with a security detail until things settle down. I, I managed to speak with uh, some of the lecturers who were also affected by the the, 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 the dismissal. Uh, one is Dr. Kichi Duku, and he tells me that he's happy to, to be back at school and he's going to continue from where he left off. As, as we speak now, uh, they are also in a meeting again, in, I mean, the, uh, uh, the dismissed lecturers, and then together with Apoke, they are in a meeting to see the way forward for the school standard. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. Calvisteta is our correspondent in the central region. He mentioned there that uh, the municipal chief executive for Ifutu is the man who is head of security in the community and he's decided to give uh, the VC a police escort. Let me speak to him, the MC himself. Alaji Zubeiru Kasim, you're welcome to uh, Eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. It's unusual to see, uh, you know, vice chancellors moving with police detail. Tell us why you decided, based on your intelligence, that uh, the reinstated VC, who is not new to the job, has to be moving around with police people. Uh, thank you, my brother, and good evening to all your listeners. Uh, let me first of all correct this. Uh, the new vice chancellor in the person of uh, Professor uh, Mauto Avoke. He is not to be moving around with police escort. No, that is not the case. Uh, you know, he was reinstated by the court, the higher court in Winneba, and that uh, he resumes office today. And that uh, what we did for him as the uh, chairman to uh, Musek is that while they're going there today to get him into office, all we can do is uh, provide him security for today for him to get to the office. The reason is that, personally, I, I live close to the university, and that I drive through the university to my uh, residence, I mean, my, my own house. So what happened is that on my way, not today, uh, for about two years and over, uh, we have these body-built men that you see them working with, uh, with uh, sticks. I mean, I am a barrass boy, like I said initially. If you see anybody like that in Ghana Army working with the city, it tells you where he's coming from in terms of army. Most of them coming from uh, the jungle, Achiasi. Hello? I'm listening to you. Yeah, most of them coming from the jungle. That is how they, 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 they walk, or that is how they move with sticks for you to know where he's coming from, especially if you are an army officer or you are a soldier. 
seeing him with a very huge walking stick tells you where he's coming from in terms of army. So we have a bodybuild men here that are being kept by uh, Reverend Afobui when he was on the throne as the VC to the university. And that my investigation tells me that they were protecting him. So my fear is that we should make the, the, the university peaceful for whoever that is coming to work at the university or whoever taking the throne. So in the first place, we only want to maintain peace on campus so that everybody on campus go by his duties peacefully without any fear. So the, 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 the police officers or the police officers that went there today are to maintain peace and order so that uh, everybody does his uh, job peacefully without any fear, like I said earlier on. I see. These people, these heavily built people you talk about who were at the gates of the university, uh, were they military people or civilians who were acting as uh, bodyguards to the former VC, Afro Brony? They, they were civilians. But then when he was on the throne, he keeps on telling people they are uh, national security personnel. But I have done my underground check to know that these people are not national security, national security personnel, but people that have, have gone through their machoism to, to uh, get him protected on campus. If I'm not mistaken, if you go there now, but I, I think now they, they wouldn't be there anyway. Mm. But you keep using the word throne. Does it mean Afro Bruni was acting like a king on campus? He is. He is. He was acting like a king on campus. Nobody has a say. And in fact, I am not to go there. I'm, I'm not a worker to the university, and I'm not to go there. But from what I, the information I've gathered, that is how he seems to be behaving, and that most of the people are not happy. I see. So my, 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 my reason of getting a police officer to the place this morning, and it's not detailed, to the, the incoming VC, no. So, 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 so he's no, he's, there's no policeman in uh, um, Professor Avoca's house as we speak? Yeah, for now. For now. There is one. There is, there is one at, at his personal residence. Is there one, one in his car anywhere. if he were not in the house immediately? No, 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 no. There's nobody in his car. But, like you, but the one, said, okay, but the one in the house would move with him? No, not at all. He's, he's in the house and I believe within some short days he will be living there. He's somebody who has worked with the university and everybody knows him. Okay, but like, Chief, uh, Chief, let me just, yeah. let me just, let, let me just understand. Is yes. the policeman in his house to protect his house or to protect him? The policeman is in his house is to protect him when he's in the house. So if he and leaves the I, house and goes to the marketplace, would the policeman go with him? No, not at all. What if not those thugs that you fear would harm him, intercept him and then beat him up? What would be the use of the policeman that you detail to his house? The, 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 you know, he is far from campus. He is somewhere along, along the Winneba Junction Road, and it will be appropriate. He has somebody that takes care of him. In fact, the person, the police officer went there yesterday, and today he came on there. He came to the school. I mean, he came to his office and being ushered into office. But do we have the number of days that this policeman is going to be with him for? No, not too much of a long, because what the reason why he went there was that, you know, as human as we are, we have deviance. At any time in point, you can see somebody wanting to go wayward. So my fear is that those build-up men there, 
we should let them know, look, there's no, uh, I mean, there's no uh, problem on campus and there has been a change. And for that matter, they should peacefully leave the campus. But, but Chief, the police. Chief, listening to your narration, it sounds like no intelligence work was really done to uh, come, arrive at this conclusion to send a policeman to the residence no, of no, Professor no, no, Avocate. No, it was no, just no, your no. own suspicion and you're not even certain what the plan is. You don't know I mean, you sent the policeman yesterday, you don't have a plan on when he will leave. And you know police people would change, they would have to be changed every day. That, so one, that one, I leave, I leave that one to the professionals. That is why I don't, I'm, I'm, I am not a professional police officer. And that's why it is the police that can determine when they want him to leave based on the, the peaceful nature of whatever they are doing. Okay, was it, the, was it on the advice of the police commander for the district that you send a, a policeman to guard this new VC, yes, or, yes, or what's yes, your decision? It was it was on the advice of uh, Musa. Very well. Thank you so yes. much for speaking to us, sir. Yes, thank you too. That's the Minister Chief Executive for Ifutu in the Central Region, Alhaji Zubeiru uh, Kasim, speaking to us there about the developments on the campus of the University of Education, Winnipeg. Let's speak to Dr. Ahmed Jinapo. He's Deputy Director General, Ghana Tertiary Education Commission, and a former General Secretary of the University Teachers Association of Ghana, UTAG, the UEW branch. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, this issue of um, removing Avocat and bringing him back, initially bringing Afobroni, where do you think this problem came from? Self-inflicted or external forces, especially government officials? Because we remember the, the investiture of Professor of Reverend Afobroni on campus done by the government, and yet we are seeing a change in our U-turn now. Thank you. First of all, let me say good evening to you, uh, Sander, and to your cherished listeners. The simple response to your question is, uh, is based by the law. Uh, the removal of Professor Mohutabokke, I remember very well, that was in July 2017. Uh, it was presided over by a judge in Winneba. I remember the name very well. Uh, Justice Grief uh, Mills. Uh, I mean, when it happened, he was asked to step aside, and it was based on the law. Today, Professor Avoca is back, based on the law. But there are two things that I think need to be stated within the spectrum of this whole development. Number one, I think Professor Avoca needs to be commended for his level of tenacity, adherence to the law, and most instructive, I mean, his reconciliatory posture based on what he issued out uh, when the ruling came out. Secondly, I think the speed and the sweetness and the manner in which he's coming back, uh, as we speak, he's back in office, he's a substantive vice chancellor, has been non acrimonious in the sense that uh, what I'm hearing from uh, sources and the media is that this whole uh, development in terms of the ruling of the court was received by the council, led by the council chairman, and uh, most importantly, facilitated by the former acting, pro, uh, acting uh, vice chancellor, who happens to be the pro vice chancellor. So in all of this, I think the question is not looking back at where we are coming from, but where we are going. And where we are going should be situated within the context of uh, the posture and the demeanor and the character of Professor Advocate. That is, let's put things behind us. Let's see how we can reconcile. Let's see how we can break everybody on board. And it's very important, uh, Sander, and most importantly to your listeners, 
20 and, and, and you and you are pos you are positive that there's going to be progress from today on I'm on the campus there. of UW. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The point is this: 2017, when UW went into all this debacle, as at that time, UW had four campuses: Ajumakun, Weniba, Kumasi, and Mampong. Today, as it stands now, two campuses have been carved out of UW. Amustead. Within that same period, we have had about three different public universities established. CK Tedem, SD Dumbo, and Sumenya. The point that I'm trying to make is that there's a sense of agency that the faculty and staff of UW need to adhere to. Universities are springing up, faculties are coming up, departments are picking up, programs are picking There's a high sense of competition. So this unrelentless, unending litigation needs to end now. And I must say, each and every one who happens to be a staff or faculty of UW must work together with Professor Vokeh to make sure that things are done, notwithstanding which side of the pendulum that you swing to. There's a sense of agency. There's a high sense of competition. Schools are springing up. So I think at the end of the day, this whole issue of who is right, who is wrong, the court has settled it. Very well. And I am very, very refreshed that at the end of the day, I mean, we have people who are more or less uh, very interested in race consultation. So I will call on everybody, everybody, not as somebody who works at UJTEC, but somebody who has been a junior member, somebody who has been an executive of the union, that, look, there's a high sense of agency. They should come together. Let's put everything behind us, and let's purge ourselves of this unnecessary litigation. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Ahmed Jinapo, Deputy Director General, Ghana Tertiary Education Commission, and a former General Secretary of UTAC UEW branch. This is Eyewitness News on 97.36 FM. Up next, uh, Scholastica Netili Neti will bring you the latest in the world of business. And then on Point Blank, my guest is Ras Mubarak, former MP Kumbungu. He has a new job now. He wants all of us to put off our phones tomorrow in protest of um, why. I'll be talking to him. Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. Economist and lecturer at the University of Ghana Business School, Dr. Patrick Isuming, has charged government to hasten efforts at leveraging its digitization agenda to plug in new revenue and expenditure loopholes while focusing on property taxation and tax exemptions to raise more revenue. The remarks follow the downgrade of Ghana's credit ratings by Fitch last month and by Moody's last week. Speaking to City Business News, Dr. Patrick Isuming noted that urgent action is needed on both the expenditure and revenue fronts to address the challenges outlined by the ratings agencies. Now, on the expenditure side, I've always felt that what the government has been doing in the last five years in terms of digitizing and then bringing, you know, trying to make sure that we seal the loophole so that everybody, whatever you are doing at some point, you know, we will be able to capture you. I think that is fairly is going on. It appears that it hasn't progressed as fast as we want. If you Go back to the budget. The government itself mentioned at least two other important things that we have to take action on. One, the property taxes. And number two, 
addressing the issue of the exemptions. In these difficult times where we need to collect every penny that we can get, I think, you know, property taxes, we have to look there carefully because the properties, they are fixed. As the vice president said, we've gone around and identify the location of these properties. So it's it's now become a lower hanging fruit because a lot of the hard work has been done. As for the exemptions, I refuse to, I, I just cannot understand why at this point we still haven't addressed the issues about the exemptions. Because when we were in the last IMF program, it was a big part of the discussion that government need to stop giving huge amount of exemptions, especially to corporations that can afford to pay the tax. Dr. Patrick Isuming is an economist and lecturer at the University of Ghana Business School. Acting Executive Vice President and Head of Goldfields in West Africa, Joshua Mototi, says businesses and investors will appreciate stability in the country's fiscal regime. According to him, a stable fiscal regime helps with the effective running of businesses. Different stakeholders have for some time now been raising issues with the trend of policy inconsistencies from the government, especially when it comes to taxation. We have more in the following report. Since 2017 till date, the government has made major U-turns in connection with some key policy proposals, including the mandatory towing levy, the luxury vehicle levy, the benchmark values policy discount, among others. Currently, government is embarking on a sensitization campaign on the controversial e-levy after major pushback from different quarters. The trend of policy announcements and withdrawals has led to calls on government to do more comprehensive engagement with all relevant stakeholders on future policies to ensure widespread acceptance going forward. Answering a question on the tax regime in the mining sector, Acting Executive Vice President and Head of Goldfields in West Africa, Joshua Mototi, said Ghana will attract more investors with a stable and clear fiscal regime. I think what any investment or investor wants is stability in the fiscal regime. Um, no investor who makes an investment decision wants six months down the line to have a drastic change in the fiscal regime that he used to justify or not his investment. So what we look out for is not necessarily a free ride, but a stable ride. And that's what we look out for all the time. I'm just advising that as a country that is looking for investment, it, is, it behoves on us to ensure that our fiscal regime is clear and is stable for investment decisions to be made. Acting Executive Vice President and Head of Goldfields in West Africa, Joshua Mortoti, ending that report. The Ghana Revenue Authority, GRE, has commenced the implementation of some six tax reliefs introduced by the government as part of efforts to cushion Guineans against the impact of COVID-19 and support efforts by small and medium-sized businesses to create jobs. The implementation of the reliefs follows the passage of relevant legislation by Parliament in December 2021 on the request of the government. There's more in this news desk report. The new relief implemented by the Ghana Revenue Authority include the exemption of people whose annual incomes are up to 4,500 Ghana cities or 375 Ghana cities a month from paying taxes and the suspension of the payment of vehicle income tax on selected vehicles, including intra-city commercial vehicles and taxis. The Ghana Revenue Authority will also limit the application of the flat rate value-added tax scheme to businesses whose annual income is up to five. 
500,000 Ghana cities. The other reliefs include the waiver of interest and penalty on tax arrears for all categories of taxpayers, the reduction of the withholding tax on gold exports by small-scale miners by 50%, and the exemption of local textile manufacturers from paying VAT. The Ghana Revenue Authority believes that by granting these reliefs, the government will be sacrificing part of the revenue that should have accrued to the state through taxes in a trade-off meant to revive businesses, as well as encourage individuals and firms to diligently honor their tax obligations. The authority hopes to raise the market share of domestic manufacturers from the current 20 to 50 percent by 25 and almost double employment in the textile sector from the current 2,500 to 4,500 by 2025. It also plans to use the new relief to revive the small-scale mining sector's contribution to gold production to about 50 percent in the coming years. That was a City Business News Desk report. The Ghana Tourism Authority says it is confident that the continuation of its domestic tourism drive will contribute significantly to reviving the sector this year. The restrictions associated with the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic cut off international tourists who were the major customers of businesses in the sector. In response to this, the authority launched a domestic tourism campaign to whip up local interest. Speaking to City Business News, acting director of Public Affairs at the Ghana Tourism Authority, Nelson Jones, stated that his outfit will continue to push the agenda to ensure a thriving local tourism industry. In terms of domestic tourism, first of all, uh, we've whipped up a lot of interest, we've done a lot of campaigns, we've done a lot of uh, interactions, videos, and now we need uh, a lot of activations, and that is what we are working on, liaising with uh, organizations and telcos and all that. The underground work has been done and we are trying to motivate uh, the populace, the general public. Uh, of course, uh, we are using the uh, city coach double-decker as, as, as a conduit and uh, we have one now currently stationed in Accra. Nelson Jones, the Acting Director of Public Affairs at the Ghana Tourism Authority. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone and powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Lenetti. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. Tonight on Point Blank, my guest is a former member of Parliament. He once rode a bicycle to Parliament in protest of increases in fuel prices. Now he's on a different campaign. Ras Mubarak, former Kumbongo MP, you're welcome. Too. Thanks. Thank you very much. I, I didn't add also that you're a bald-headed Rasta man. That's also something. One's, one's a bald head, always a bald head. Yeah. But thanks very much for the opportunity to discuss um, this particular issue of relevance. By the way, congrats on your 35th birthday uh, um, recently. Oh, thank you. I didn't yeah. I didn't know you took notice. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. I'll be waiting for your gift. But unfortunately, <laughs> you're in opposition. You're a former MP. I'm not sure you get money. You get money. Pure water. You get, <laughs> it's fine. Bring, 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 bring pure water or buy me a phone. I'll or give me your phone that you're switching off tomorrow. <laughs> Let's talk about this campaign of yours. Um, what's, the, what's the problem? Okay. So we have this campaign dubbed No Calls Day, which is to 
um, highlight and to get everybody who is a mobile phone user in Ghana to boycott the making of calls and receiving of calls tomorrow, Tuesday the 8th of February. And our reasons are, one, that the whole process of similar registration is not hinged on law and that the activity is illegal and that um, the NCA should halt the directive for people should go to, to go to re-register and go to Parliament to seek the necessary um, legislative backing for re-registration. After that, they can, you know, they should put in place measures that would ensure we don't see the levels of chaos that has characterized, you know, the same re-registration exercise. Um, it's been very chaotic. Um, it hasn't been done in a manner that dignifies the Ghanaian customer. And I think, you know, customers, customers have rights to be treated with dignity. The third issue is that, and I find this particularly shocking, that an industry, you know, that revolves around new technology. I mean, we're talking about a telecoms industry that would do things that are reminiscent of the black and white era. You know, where people are still queuing and struggling to find mm -hmm. places where people are putting in, you know, their sandals and, and stones to go and eat and come and all of that. When they could harness new technology, you know, and have the biometric details of people captured. I mean, once upon a time, Sander, um, if you wanted to send money to anyone within the country or outside of a country, you would have had to. Uh, go to a lorry station to find some relative who is traveling. Or give it to a truck or, or driver. give it to a truck or a, a driver, driver and um, make, you know, hope that he will deliver. You know, or spend longer time, you know, in banking halls, in queues. Mm -hmm. Today, thanks to new technology, even in, you know, pardon my French, even on your toilet seat, um, you could still transfer money to, you know, anyone, anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we are quite shocked that with the advancement in technology, where telecoms sector should be harnessing some of these things without people having to move an inch. You have, you know, directives that requires for people to go and queue to have these things done. Take, for instance, the taxi driver. I keep citing this example, or the trotro driver, or the Uber driver, who has to make sales, you know, um, who has to spend three or four hours of, of his time driving, to go and be in a queue. He's definitely not going to get his daily bread. So you have a system rolling out a program that deprives people of their daily bread. Okay? And that is certainly not acceptable. Take the senior citizen who is in Kumbung or in Aswasi or in Ashaima or in Teshi, you know, who is 90 or 80 or even 75 and can't walk, you know, uh, more than 100 meters. You are threatening the senior citizen that if he or she does not go to re-register their SIM card, which is illegal, by the way, you would block their number. Now, this senior citizen uses this, the phone, you know, to call grandchildren every now and then just to keep, you know, uh, happy. Okay? So, you have all of these things happening. Take the young lady. You know, Zoe's here, for instance. Um, uh, before she got married, uh, she was what? Zoe Abubedu. Mm -hmm. Okay? On her Ghana card, she probably must have registered it as Zoe Abubedu. And now she's what? Zoe... Abubedu Ado. Abubedu Ado. Mm -hmm. She goes there with her Ghana card and they tell her, 
you know, um, um, they don't recognize it because, you know, the name that on the card does not reflect her current status. I mean, that is a, an anti-woman policy. I'm even surprised that the women... Is, is, that, is that what they do? That is what they do. I mean, if you, go to, if you go with a card that, you know, does not reflect your current name... Um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they would tell you to go and get an affidavit. Give me a second. This okay. is uh, Point Blank on Eyewitness News. Uh, my name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. We are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Uh, the conversation tonight is on the plan to have what they call No Call Day Tomorrow, a campaign that is led by a group of individuals who have lots of difficulties with the SIM card re registration. And um, they are asking people to boycott, um, not to make calls, and so on. Explain to me, Ras Mubarak is my guest in studio. He's a lead campaigner on this particular issue. You are asking people to switch off their phones. Why should the telephone company suffer because of a government policy? They are just implementing are, what government are, has they said they should are do. They are accessories. How? And I'll explain why. How do people, these criminals who who do SIM box fraud or Momo fraud, how do they acquire hundreds of thousands of SIM cards? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and why should you, Umaru, or the, 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 the ardent listener of CTFM, bear the brunt of someone's greed, someone's, you know, avarice? No, but you, you know, go because, to the market because, and buy. You no, can buy no, as many so, SIM cards as you want. So they are selling as many, they are just pushing SIM cards out without regard to what people would use these SIM cards for. Yeah, but that's and, why the, states, be, the, the, the state should do that. Not so there's a failure, mm -hmm. okay? So one, someone is greedy, and I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be paying for someone's greed, okay? And I, shouldn't, I should also not be paying for the, the state's inability to monitor how these SIM cards are given away um, uh, to people. I so, mean, it's so completely take on, unacceptable. So, so take on the state, not the no, poor company no, no, that is providing no, services. No, no, Remember no. in the 90s where we had only one tel telephone company, mm -hmm. the difficulty of obtaining a mobile phone and yeah. a SIM card. And then Space Phone came on board and you saw but, how but, but you know the how, numbers started uh, multiplying. But, but you know the struggle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've used my SIM card for nearly 24 years. Mm -hmm. I used to live in uh, Sepetimpum in Kumasi. The MTN office, head office in Ashanti region, I think, in Kumasi was at Ahonjo. The distance from, you know, Sepetimpum to Ahonjo alone <laughs> was something else, okay? Mm -hmm. I go through all of this process, you know, use a legitimate Ghanaian document to register my SIM card, you know, undergo another SIM re-registration. Then, several years down the line, you ask me to come and re-register. Is it that all of a sudden those documents have become invalid? But you see, is it harmonization? That's what the government is looking for. Harmonization is crucial. You can, you, you, can, you, you want to have all the data captured on one document. You are the one worried about the SIM box fraud. You are the one worried about the Momo fraud. Okay, government has perhaps been sleeping and then all this has happened. So the question is, why should... Yes, yeah, so now government has why, to why wake up. Why should the Ghanaian no, public... But they've given you ample brand? time. If they no, give you ample no, time, they announced this in last no, year and said no. that the expiry date was in March. And have you, have you re-registered? I have re-registered, courtesy of my company that managed to get us. Absolutely. Yes, and, but, but I have it's, seen it's the chaotic every, scenes out there. I would have, I would have been struggling by now if I wanted to walk into the the place and get so registered. Sandra, you, you because in the morning I see them opposite Accra Academy. Uh, it's like a market square. They're just coming to register. They think people have to leave their workplace and so on. I know the inconvenience, but I'm just saying that in the midst of a pandemic. Yes. You know, to add, so you you find yourself in a privileged 
position. Yeah, luckily for where me. Where your, your, your company can facilitate yes. your registration. Many Guineans don't have that luxury. They don't have that privilege. Okay? And it is no fault of theirs. And we're saying that, look, there's new, technolo new technologies abound. Okay, and this can be done without people having to leave their place of work. Are there you are saying people, that people should not register at all? Or you're saying the registration is too laborious and something should be done about it? I, what exactly are you fighting? So, number one, we're saying it's illegal, so people shouldn't register. That's a legal matter that you have to, you have to deal with in the court. And it's there's already a court in court. Yes, yeah, so, okay. so why don't you let that No, conclude? because we don't determine how long the court processes would run. Yes, yeah, so you can't call it illegal yet until you get as a court as, pronouncing as, that's illegal. As far as we are concerned, the process mm -hmm. is illegal. That is okay. number one. So that's one. So number two, we're saying that the process is chaotic and that it exposes people to the dangers of COVID, okay, and that it deprives people of their livelihood because there are some people, look, if they don't go and do nine to five, they will eat. Mm -hmm. Their kids would starve. Are we thinking about them? Okay, and 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 the, the, the poshness, you know, the arrogance, you know, of the uh, the regulator and the service providers that people should line up and come and vote. I mean, the whole hallmark of good customer service is c convenience and comfort. You got to be able to do it in a very comfortable manner and in a very convenient manner. Now, how does this re-registration exercise provide comfort? For the senior citizen who's retired and struggling to walk, the, the bedridden Ghanaian young man or, or senior citizen who has been threatened that their only means of interaction with the world and, and drying up their tears is their telephone to tell them that, you know, you would block it by the end of um, um, March. March would be, you know, a complete violation, an offensive violation of their fundamental human rights and we should not be tolerating that mm. so we are encouraging Ghanaians to rise up and defend the constitution of the republic I, I believe another issue you should consider is the one mm. for the Ghana card obtain the Ghana card itself and, and all and, of and it that alone so, so that's another issue but, but where you come, have to look at the state come, institutions come to that have to they should be the ones you, be, you should be taking on I don't think no, the companies no, are the ones no, no, because if no. national identification authority is the one that is failing but, to but NIA you. has come to tell you mm. in that a letter that's that signed by Kenate for that even the pro they, they can't even vouch for the sanctity of the process Mm. And that is the absurdity of this whole rush to have Kelner GVG do this. You know, a company that has zero track record in some of these things. And I think Ghanaians should be up in arms, you know, against some of these excesses and abuses. You know, I see you activate your phone using your thumbprint. <laughs> <laughs> That's how far technology has, 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 mm. has come, you mm. know. Mm. And for, for the telcos and for NTA, they should be harnessing new technology to get these things done. Okay. And so you are saying that MTN, Vodafone, Airtel Tigo should suffer because the state did not put in infrastructure for you when you are buying the SIM card. I mean, these are things that the state should have introduced. They can create a law and say that henceforth, if you're coming to buy a SIM card, you should bring a driver's license. Or henceforth, the driver's license ceases to be the card you can use. There's, to something, called, there's something called duty of care. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, they should not only be driven by profit, but they should care about the consequences of, of the profit they are making, you know, to think about its effect. You have targets to meet, and so, you know, your people should sell SIM cards however they, they, they sell it. Mm. That, is, that has brought us where we are, where individuals can acquire 100 SIM cards, 1,000 SIM cards, 2,000 SIM cards, and perpetrate crime. And I'm asking you, why must you or the listener mm -hmm. 
bear the brunt of someone's ineptitude? Mm. Why must we suffer, you know, you know, for a company that is making profit, that is driven by profit, you know? So this would affect the MNOs, obviously. It also affects government revenue. How many people are going to respect this your call? Well, currently we've done something that has never been done in this country. There are more than 7,000 people who have signed an online petition that is unprecedented in the history of you know, petitions in, in the, They're supporting in, in, in your the country that are supporting. Why have you decided that they should switch off their phones only tomorrow? So, so we're asking it? people to not to make calls or receive calls. Okay. Okay, from the, uh, from the hours of uh, 6 in the morning to 12 in the afternoon. So you're doing six hours? Six hours. As the first in a series of activities that we intend to rule out should they refuse to heed, heed you know, the calls and concerns of Ghanaians to treat them with dignity and respect. Have you quantified this? And what are the telcos saying to you? Well, I've, I've, I've listened to one interview by uh, the chair of the telecoms chamber who indicated that they are going to take a hit. You know, it's unfortunate that um, um, they'll take a hit, but the reality is that um, um, no Ghanaian should suffer for a company's inability to do the right thing. You know, um, we've given them, how long has it been? Over a it's, month? It's a month, yeah. To, to mm. get their act together, to go to parliament and get the necessary legislation in place, they have completely refused. You know, you see some intransigence and some arrogance you know you saw the the very offensive response from an officer who's been paid for by whose salary has been borne by the the taxpayer the, his response to our first press statement clearly an insult you know so that's the, that's the, that, that's the kind of system we're dealing with where people feel we are in position of authority mm. and so we can treat you with disdain so seven thousand people saying mm -hmm. never again should the Ghanaian mobile network user be treated with this much disdain. 7,000 people switch off their phones for, for six hours. You think that's strong enough to communicate to millions of... It's a first, is a first in, the, in a series of activities to happen. So after Tuesday, if you know they still do not heed our call, we'll meet and decide the next line of action, How which, do you, which would include extending you know, to you know, 12, hour, 12 hours. Um, or some other activities. So this is not a physical action. No, no, it's not a physical it's, demonstration. It's, where it's, because it's a virtual it, thing. It would defeat the the things for which we are crying, that we are in a pandemic. Nobody should be gathering in mass, and so we can't be seen asking people to come for a demonstration. That's not what we're asking for. Mm. It's not a it's not a demonstration in the physical form of a demonstration. Go about your normal duties, but don't pick calls. Don't make calls for six hours as a first step to addressing your concerns as a Ghanaian, to addressing the issues of disrespect and disdain shown towards you, you know, by people who are supposed to be making sure that you receive your service in comfort and in convenience. How, how will you track this to be sure that people have... We don't have to, we don't have to track it. I've, I've just given... So you're you, leaving it to people no, to... No, to, I've just... Kept, we've made an appeal. But I've just given you the number of people who have even put their names to a petition. Mm. I mean, it's unprecedented. I see. You know, so we, we believe that the numbers will be very, very good. And we are able to tell when the telecos declare, 
you know um, uh, their revenues. C can they do data calls then? WhatsApp and all of those other calls. That, that's also a call. That so, so for the first step, we have not included data. So people can use their data. But going forward, if the conditions remain, the next line of action would definitely, you know, uh, some of us would definitely push for data to be included. Tomorrow, if Benadavle wants to speak to you and ask he's, you, he's on not the, gonna on get the, me. you're not going to put no, on your phone. No, no. If your children are, I mean, in school and there's some sort of problem that the school needs to reach you, you, you said, refuse you to pick. You said an emergency. Yes, if there's an emergency is an emergency, and that's mm. why you said, you know, if and you're using the word advisedly, mm. if there if there is. Mm. So if there isn't an emergency, why should you pick and make calls? So when the in call is coming through, how do you know this is an emergency or not? So I would be switching off my phone so that I don't... I so don't tomorrow you are putting the life of your children no, at no. risk. I drop my kids to school and pick them up. Yeah, but you can never know what you happens know. as soon as you drive off. No, no, no. I'm not putting their lives in danger. Your, your, your if, wife, you if, know, you have a wife who if, is... If, <laughs> if, if, if uh, the school authority need to communicate with me, there are emails, you know, other ways of reaching me as a parent... You know, but I certainly would not be uh, making or receiving any calls, and I enjoin all Ghanaians, you know, uh, to to join us in solidarity, you know, and to defend the constitution of our republic. If former president Jomahama calls you tomorrow, you see his phone ringing, JM1. Will you pick up or not? I wouldn't. You wouldn't pick up. No. He's coming to say to you that he wants you to be his running mate in the next election. Oh, come on. I mean, this is absurd. You would have how, missed how, the final how, opportunity. How can two nordness be president and running Well, it's not unconstitutional. I mean, <laughs> it's not illegal. It's, 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 it's not. Fine. He it's, says he wants you to be no, his chief no, of staff. No. I mean, if, if, if someone wants to contact you... That's really, a fine opportunity no, you're missing. No, no. If someone really wants to reach you and mm. they are unable to reach you in the morning, mm. be rest assured they will reach you in the afternoon. But again, that is why we have provided ample time so the campaign has been going on. We've been putting word out there. So people know that tomorrow... Yeah, but I'm just throwing this question no, so that you know you, are, you know you the running, inconvenience you are putting people at tomorrow. But it's, it's you actually... Someone can hold you responsible no, if they fail to pick up a call no, and, and they, they lose their job. Maybe the boss wants to know something and you refuse to pick your call. I mean, choice. I'm a journalist. Tomorrow, my head of news even calls me and because I'm campaigning... We're encouraging you not to open your phone lines. Because I'm, I'm not cam I'm campaigning as Mubarak, I put up my phone and then we miss a very important news item i'm gonna go home is a choice for two weeks because i switched off my phone for six is hours it's a choice between the devil and the deep blue sea now which would you choose i would like to swim so sometimes I jump into the deep blue sea <laughs> but you yourself have you re-registered no will you re-register i won't so you are ready to lose your sim card it would be and there would be you know me <laughs> you're going to ride a bicycle to protest i wouldn't i wouldn't ride a bicycle but there would be serious ramifications a fire go. We, we we will not take it like lying down. I can I can assure you that. Ras Mubarak, former member of parliament, campaigner for the no call day. Uh, thank you for joining us on Point Blank. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Wish you all the best. My name is Umaru Sandamado. This has been Eyewitness News. Production by Sixtus Don Ulo, Beverly London, and Asedu Zoe Abubedu Ado, and the technical support from Daniel Squashi. We'll be back tomorrow at 1730 GMT. Up next, Samuel Temensai on your radio to bring you footprint. Good night. City News. We speak first. 
reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.